getting ready in a world of entrepreneurship i'm getting ready tony tells it how it is i'm getting ready as a restaurateur she continues to disrupt i'm, I'm getting ready and bring us the fucking sauce ladies and gentlemen here's your host tony calderon What's up, guys? I always have to giggle after that intro. Ralph Real, this is for you. You um, you killed that shit, son. Thank you. So um, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship always because this is the sauce, right? I'm saucy with it. I'll let you know a little bit of my ingredients and we just talk through it because I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing the damn thing. So mom sits in on this and uh, Tatiana will be here from time to time. And uh, we're just going to we're just going to talk today. I want to talk about finances in the world of entrepreneurship and what it looks like to be creative at those finances and the misconception of what you think banks should do for you and what they actually do, especially in the world of restaurants. They don't do anything for you, by the way. <laughs> Banks do shit for startup restaurants. That's an automatic no. I've heard now, I heard 17 no's in my, my up to my storytelling four years ago, right? Now I'm at like 28. 28 no's, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm counting them. And I just saw a meme the other day that Starbucks heard 275 no's before they got their shot. Um... I think Disney, I heard, I, I Masterclass, he's, he heard every no. Amazon, every no. The bigger your ideas are, the crazier you look to the guys behind the desk making the decisions on your future. And uh, you just get a no. But the restaurant industry especially is the number one failed industry because of all of the variables. And um, because of that, banks just have you on their no list. And they're very candid about that after about your fifth now. When you're like, what am I doing wrong? Your business plan's impeccable. Your pitch was awesome. And you got to straight up ask, what am I doing wrong? And they'll just be like, we don't really do a lot with restaurants. We don't. We just don't. Okay. Thanks. Oh, good luck. We'll be in. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then uh, when you want to buy real estate or whatever and you have to show your two years tax returns and your cash flow analysis is kind of weak because it's a restaurant. And they look at you and you go, do you have a co-signer? Do you have any other collateral? Do you have anything else you could put up for this? And then um, you go on to, to figure that out. You find an investor, private money. What's that look like? What's private money look like to most people? that are just starting out when I just started out, right? So here's here's my story. I just started out 23 years old thinking that I was going to open up this wine bar in downtown, or downtown York, not Orlando, York. And uh, I had to come to the table with $50,000 to even look at this bill. They wanted 20% down. So they wanted $50,000 cash. And I didn't have $50,000 cash. I didn't save any of my money. What are you, crazy? <laughs> I spent it. I was 23. I went out and drank it all away like everybody else, right? How do you do it? How do you get started? So I started talking to banks and uh, they said, you need a business plan. Do you know what a business plan is? Yeah, I know what a business plan is. 
I wrote my first business plan in high school. You could open up a business with and failed entrepreneurship class. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in a business plan, and they're very important to get your point across. And it took me probably 10 years until I wrote an impeccable one. Uh, but I wrote several. And you need to have a guesstimate of what kind of numbers you're going to produce. So it's not even facts. But you have to have it on a piece of paper that says how much money in your projections you might make in your business. Worst case scenario. So how you figure that out in a restaurant specifically is you say how many seats do I have? How many seats do I need in order to make my rent, my bills, all of my overhead expenses, my fixed overhead expenses? And you write them down on a nice spreadsheet and you say, okay, I need for sake of math, 50 seats in this restaurant. So I have to go find a building that can hold 50 seats and the location's everything. So now I have to find a place that has decent rent, 50 seats, and then you put this pro forma together. Now each seat is going to cost, it's going to cost them per person to eat this much per person. And then you start putting your numbers together. So each person's going to spend in my restaurant $10 a person, 50 seats. I'll seat the restaurant one and a half times a night. Worst case scenario, one time, sake of math. So it's $500 a night. Now you multiply that. How many nights a week are you open? Oh, well, I want Sundays off. You can't afford Sundays off if you need to make money. So stop pipe dreaming about what you want and let's start talking about how you're going to make money. Okay, well, if my rent's $450 a week... so. That's what the performer does. It breaks it down. And that's a whole conversation. That's like a whole like commitment to making sure that your restaurant works on paper. And then you bring it to a bank and you have no idea if that's ever going to work out. It's all bullshit anyway. And it pisses me off. It is all a guesstimate. It is all a let's hope this works out. This is how I created my plan. But it's a variable business, right? Maybe people don't like coming into that restaurant. Maybe people don't like that kind of cuisine. Maybe people had a bad experience. Maybe people don't like that area of town because it was cheap rent. So you have all these different variables. Maybe your customer, I mean, your uh, employees didn't show up and you had to close early that night. So you missed out on an opportunity to do the one and a half turns at the table to make that $500. So there's so many variables to opening up a restaurant, but you have to sell it in the executive summary. What kind of restaurant is this? What kind of cuisine do you sell? What are your food costs? How much does it cost to make those tacos or that pizza? So now you got to figure out what your ingredients cost, right? And how much you're going to break them down and how much does it cost to prepare this meal? Labor costs. How many ch- uh, cooks do you need in the kitchen? How many servers do you need to serve these 50, t- 50 seats? So many different variables. And this business plan has to explain all of it. And then the part of the personal financial statement. How much are you worth? What are you bringing to the table? And how much blood are you going to put in the game? I don't have anything. I just have this idea. I used to call it sweat equity. I will bring sweat equity into this. I will make this happen. Oh, that's cute is how they look at you. So these are all facts. This is what you go through in any industry. Any industry, this is what a business plan looks like. How are you going to make it make money so you could pay me my loan back? Now, let's talk about banks. You go and you give them your money. Do you think that it stays in like this deposit box and then it just sits there until you're ready to come and pick it up again? 
No, they take your money and they go invest in real estate or they go invest in something that they can make an income off of and then they pay you a percent on your money. Thank you so much for banking with us. We live here too. We love that you're giving us your business. We need 700 more people to give us their paychecks every month to keep it in savings or a CD. They take that money, they go invest it, play with it, try to make money off of it to pay their overhead expenses, and then they give you a percentage. And what really kills me now that I actually have money in the bank, when I ask to get it out, they need a 24-hour notice. And then if I go to deposit a check, it's a five to seven day to clear it. It's insane. And it's all a business. It's all smoke and mirrors and it's all a business. So remember that when you're going to ask these banks for money, they are a business too. They're not there to make your dreams come true. They're there to ask you every reason why they shouldn't give you that money. So don't get discouraged. I heard 17 no's before I I even opened my doors. And I heard them after I opened my doors because I tried to expand. So how did I do it with no money? Because here I am doing the damn thing still with zero dollars of my own money invested. My businesses have reinvested in what I do. That's how I grow. I make a business, make money, and then I go and reinvest in another business. And then that business will make money, and then I'll double down. And then that business will make money, and then I'll double it down. And then I've become self-sufficient at this point. But I got here by being creative because nobody was going to help me by giving me a check. I went to my family, and I said, will you help me? Well, I went to my ex-husband's family, and they said, no, we've worked hard for our money. I'm not going to give it to you to go gamble with. So I get it. I had to find ways to get that money myself. So I found a private investor. And in order to do that, them being completely silent, which means they have no say in how you run your business. So it's called a silent partner or an investor or a hard money lender. A hard money lender is the key term that you want to look for when you're trying to find money to start. Very expensive money, but usually comes with hardly any strings attached. So I found a hard money lender, but I needed to have something to collateralize. Collateral is a big word in the investment game or in the startup business game. What do you have to put up against this loan for me to give you this money? Well, having heard that my whole life, I got a head start on it. But this is what it means. You have to buy something that has equity in it. Meaning if you buy a house, for instance, that's what I did. I bought a home that had money in it from the price that I paid to what it was worth. So that $50,000 difference from what I paid for it and what it got appraised for is called instant equity. So when you find a home, my suggestion as your first home, you really exercise your first time home buyer option, which means you only put 3% down on a property to close on it. So now you have to start your conquest because you know your end game is to have your own business, right? Let's start at your own house. Stop renting, right? Start putting that into your own investment. So you need two years tax returns. So you got to start there. Work backwards. How do I get to that business? This is where you start. You have two years tax returns that you need to show consistent income. And what they do is a debt to income ratio based on your tax returns. They take how much you owe on credit cards, car payments, what you're putting into rent right now, 
And they say, okay, what's your income? Your income's $2,000 a month, $2,500 a month. That's where I was working at the casino, being a blackjack player. I made five to $700 a week. Tony made five to $700 a week. He was a server, so he hardly ever claimed anything. So his tax returns were very low. Mine was all claimed. So combined income, we had about $5,000 a month, right? So after we put all of our debt together, credit cards, car payments, rent, they say, okay, in order to approve you for a mortgage, you need to, ha- you need to make an income of at least, I think it's two and a half times the amount the mortgage is. If you can afford that, then we'll approve your loan. So I said, okay, we can, based on our approval, we're going to be able to get a hundred, $150,000 house. I went out looking. You can find foreclosures. You can find bank-owned properties. You can find uh, estate sales. You can find uh, tax sales where people own tax- owe taxes and you can buy them for what they owe on them. There's all kinds of different ways that you can do it smart to find that instant equity, that, that missing link to be creative in your financing for your business. So I found a foreclosed property. When I purchased that foreclosed property, exercise your 3% down. So for sake of numbers, we'll say it's 3% on a $100,000 home. That's what, $3,000 down on a $100,000 home? I can come up with $3,000. And then you've got closing costs and whatever. So expect to spend around five dollars to $8,000 on a home to buy it. Now I own this property. Now I have that $50,000 equity to go and play with to find a loan to be able to have this $200,000 business. <clears throat> Sorry, I get winded. I'm very pregnant. So after you obtain this home, what I did is I went to this hard money lender. All right, I got $50,000 equity in my home. Took a year to get here, but I got here. Will you give me $50,000 cash if I put a lien on my property? So I never had to go and get money out and give this guy the 50 grand or else I would have done that myself. You put a lien on your property. He gives you the 50 grand. He's making 18% on his money. More than any bank will ever give you at that 1%, right? So he's making 18%. It gives me his money to go play with. What did I do? I put it into the build out of the, of the property. So here's how I negotiated my first restaurant. I didn't own it outright. I rented it. No idea how the hell I was going to open it. I had $50,000. And I said, okay, $50,000 to turn it from this restaurant to my restaurant. So I picked inexpensive ways to, cl- to clean up the aesthetics to make it look like my own. And I negotiated the lease. That is the biggest part that people miss in growth is negotiating the lease. You have a landlord, a property owner that is literally sitting on something vacant, making no money. Meanwhile, they're paying their mortgage and their taxes. So you're actually coming to their saving grace, not the other way around. And I feel like that's a misconception. So I see it as an opportunity. Okay, well, how long has this been vacant? These are questions you ask first. How long have you been sitting on this property? Not because you really care, because you really have more ammunition now to negotiate. Oh, well, what ha- well, why did it close down? You make it look like they have a problem on their hands. Well, why did it close down? Why isn't it rented? What's going on here? How am I so lucky to find out? I'm lucky to find out. Why is it that you haven't rented it yet? It's all in negotiation and the power to hold a position there. That you, the ball's in your court. I'm doing you this favor, buddy. 
why is it still vacant? Well, my restaurant closed down and I didn't do anything with it. I listed it and this guy was going to rent it out and he didn't. So now it's for rent and he's like, I'm paying taxes and I don't know. How much can you afford? I said, well, what's the lowest you'll go? And never name your price first. In negotiation, the first person who says the price loses. Always let them talk first. So if you're not dealing with an agent, agents usually have that shit all listed. Da, 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 da. And when you, I deal with agents now too, you go directly to the owner. Find a way to get direct to the owner. So I'm talking to the owner in this instance and I said, okay, what's the lowest you'll go? He's like, oh, I said, I'll pay your mortgage and I'll help you with some of your taxes. But here's what I want. I want six months free rent an opportunity to convert it in that six months to the, what I want it to look like. I don't want to be paying rent while I'm renovating it and can't make money off of it. But I will guarantee you that you'll get this lease and you'll get the price you want. So they first name the lower price and then the, after they name the price they really want, their dream world scenario. And then you negotiate, uh, negotiate up to their dream world scenario. And you say, okay, for the first six months I want it free. I can afford to pay this for the next six months. But... I want $50,000 to do the build out. And they go, what? I'm not, I cannot make any money. I'm not giving you $50,000. Look, do you or do you not want to make money on this lease? Because it could sit here vacant for another year. That's fine. Or you can give me the cash up front and then I'll pay it back to you in the lease. So now he's getting the money he always wanted. Right? So I did everything with only having to take a loan out on a home. I got the landlord to give me the money to open up the restaurant. And I got the private lender to give me the money to do the build out of the restaurant. So I opened with that $100,000. No money out of my own pocket, except for the 3% down on my home that I live in, that I have to pay rent in anyway. So that's called creative financing. There's any ways that you can get it done. And people don't really ask. What's the worst that can they could say is no? So I've done that to every single lease moving forward. And that's just how I did it. I did it with my property on the square. Five-story, 10,000-square-foot building, predominantly right in the middle of the square. Negotiated an owner financing situation. Six months free rent. Put down the closing costs. It's the same negotiation everywhere I go, and it works. Because it works for them. It's a win-win. But you can't. You can't get there unless you ask and you feel like you're so positive in your success rate that they have no chance, no opportunity but to say no, I mean, but to say yes. Because what do they have to lose? They got a tenant. I'm going to pay them back that money. It's not like they gifted it to me. You're going to get that money back on the lease and a lease. So it's a win-win. It's just going to be sitting in the bank making 1% or you can give it to me and I give you 5% on your money because I know my business is going to make it. And I factor all of that in my pro forma in my business plan. So I have all of these gears shifting on how to put this deal together before I even put pen to the paper. And that's how I get it done. And no bank ever gave me money. I still haven't. They gave me a $50,000 line of credit that had to be secured with my firstborn. And I still hear about that freaking thing. I got all these different deals going and a $50,000 un in unsecured line of credit is like pain in my ass but everything else that's I mean that's just how I did it by the time I will have opened my ninth presto 
right? Everybody's like, how are you doing presto so fast in a pandemic? How are you doing it? Where's your money coming from? And then banks think, oh my God, she's spending all her money. And then investors are like, where's all this money coming from? Why am I not getting paid? I'm not putting any money into them. I'm taking money from the build out. It's called tenant allowance, negotiating a price per square foot within the lease, six months free rent. So I'm making a profit in those six months if I get them opened faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um and then I'm flipping it. It's called I call it parlay. It's a gambling term. But you parlay that money, excuse me, and you put it into the next build out. So by the time I have built out my ninth unit at the end of September, I will have gotten almost $300,000 in free money in negotiating it and getting my properties opened. And it's all because I ask and I don't stop until I get it and I'll walk. And you got to be willing to walk, never fall in love with a piece of property. I did that and I got my heart broken. I had plans and I had drawings written up and it wasn't mine yet, but man, I knew I was going to have it one day. And the negotiation went south. It didn't go the way I wanted it. And I didn't get it. Don't ever fall in love with the building. you got to go where the opportunity is. So when you don't think that there's a way, I challenge you to think on your creativity and how you can make it happen and figure it out. Because there's a misconception that things have to go according to what the bankers say. And then they have to go according to what the book says. And then they have to go according to how it's been done. How do you think that this country was founded? There were no books on how it was done. People figured it out and then created their own methods of getting it done. And then people just follow suit. Be a disruptor. It's okay. It's okay to find a property that has a landlord that might be willing to put the money into you. And take the risk on you. It's no different than being in a casino. You gamble in the boardroom just as much as you gamble at the tables. If you think somebody's worth it or not, you're putting your money into them. It's a risk. We're all risk takers. Stop putting the negative connotation on the entrepreneurs who actually go for it. That's what I can't stand about banks. You take a risk every day. It might be calculated with all your fake calculations anyway. That piece of paper I gave you, let me tell you, it's bullshit unless I go to work every day and make it happen. So you're taking the chance on me. And that's exactly why... They don't invest in in restaurants because they can't control the outcome. You can control the outcome with the property. Like I don't have it leased right now. It's more forgiven that it's not being leased because it's the economy. But it's not forgiven that my restaurant's not filling up because it must be how you're running it. It's real estate. However you look at it, I got to flip my tables as much as possible. It's real estate. You're sitting there. Your ass in that seat's going to cost that much money to pay my rent. It's all real estate, but it's perception. And everybody's got this perception that restaurants, which I mean, I get it too, though. I get, I get it because restaurants are failed. I ran taste tests as a restaurant incubator and a lot of restaurants came through and they had no idea how to run a business. But once in a while you come across somebody who has got some business savvy and you can play on that. So I I understand, I can't believe I'm going to say that, but I understand the banks in that sense. But if you have somebody that keeps showing up and showing you how they're doing it, fucking invest in them. I'm so frustrated right now. I'm in the middle of a deal and I can't get it done. If you can't tell, they still look at me as a risk. And you got so much going on. How do you do it all? How about you not interrupt the people doing it? I put that up on my Facebook today. Like, 
How about you stop listening to the people who have never done it, can't do it, and wouldn't know where to start how to do it, telling them that you can't do it or it won't be done. Why don't you just stop listening to those people and continue about your way? And that's just my motto. That's what I keep doing. Okay, go ahead and think that way. Thanks. I'm be over here doing it. Makes me mad. But, um, so I came up with a solution. Raisedsteak.com. And raisedsteak.com is an equity crowdfunding portal that I am creating and have been creating for 15 years, (laughs) research and development wise. And then it's actually been in production for two and a half years. And it is my father's living legacy and my goal in life. And it is geared towards helping the startup entrepreneur, specifically in the restaurant industry right now, to get their startup money to open up their dream and start a restaurant. And how that's going to happen is you're going to be able to go online. And it's not like a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe, which everybody's pretty much trained now to uh, ask for and offer up donations for exchange mm-hmm. for something. Yeah, This is, ex- it's actually equity, an equity option in a, prop- in a property or business. And it alleviates the pressure of an entrepreneur going to a bank and asking for $200,000 for their startup. Instead, it goes to the community. And they sell their concept to the community and say, invest in me. You're going to eat here anyway. Put your money where your mouth is. And $200,000 over the extent of your community is a lot easier to raise than going to one person and asking them to risk $200,000 on you. And everybody has the option of equity interest in the company or rewards. And everybody loves them some rewards. So if you got to eat anyway... Why wouldn't you come to the restaurant you own? Tell your friends and family that you own that restaurant, and then your restaurant does good, and so do you. And then the entrepreneur, the restaurateur, has an opportunity to survive in a a world full of failure and in a world full of us having to pay the marketing companies and the DoorDash 30% of our business. They get 30% off the top, guys. I don't know if you guys know that. But DoorDash and Grubhub, for the convenience of you sitting your ass on the couch... Which I do all the time. We order it off all the time. I'm guilty. It's just so convenient. But we pay 30% off the top. The restaurant does. Yeah. We meaning the restaurant. And, uh, and we do it anyway. We pay those fees anyway. Why wouldn't I give it to my community? Why wouldn't I give it to there you, you yeah. for coming and eating at my restaurant? I'm okay with splitting the profits. Why I got to make Grubhub more, more money? I want to make the little guy more money. Why don't you invest in me? You don't know how to invest. Or what? I got to go to some big wig investor who has an 820 credit score and $50,000 sitting in this account and $100,000 in that account. And they just collect it and give it to you and then put all kinds of stipulations on it. Check on you every 15 minutes. Follow up. Act like they own you. Put their claws in you. Put you in a box. Tell you you're doing it wrong. Why are you thinking that way? Take your passion from you second by second. Or <laughs> you say, hey, community, invest $500 in me. I'm not talking $10,000. i am not talking $20,000. 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Invest 500 bucks to become my partner, and I'll give you $500 plus in food or $500 plus 
in uh, return in, in interest and equity over, over the course of the agreement. It's a game changer. It is creative financing at its best, and it is possible because of the JOBS Act as of 2016, and it will hit the market later this year. Raised stake, S-T-A-K-E dot com. We're collecting um, emails now to tell people more about it. So if you're interested in learning more, coming to one of our summits that we're going to put on and um, even becoming a crowdfunder on it, put your email address in there and we'll keep you up to speed because I swear to God, it's going to disrupt the game and change the way that restaurants are built in communities everywhere. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my living legacy. Thanks for listening. Ciao.